Hello, everyone, and welcome to Twig 249. We've got so much to talk about today. I think Unity is going to take a very big chunk of today's Twig. And here with me to discuss it and dig in are Philip Black, Game Economist at Game Economist Consulting. Yes, Sue, as they say in Greek. Jen Donahoe, Marketing Executive at Jade Inferno Consulting. Howdy, everyone. Eric Kress, Principal at Gossamer Consulting Group. Yo, yo, yo. And you've got me, Laura Taranto, Head of New Games of Big Fish. I feel like I should say Head of New Games of Big Fish Consulting so I fit in with the rest of you. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple shills and then we'll jump right into Unity because I think everyone's just chomping at the bit. The Istanbul Exec Roundtables was a very successful event. Many thanks to my games and everyone who attended. Helsinki with Google and Apps Flyer, lots of fun. Also, thanks to everyone who attended. And if you haven't been to those events and you want to start coming to our events, we've got a couple upcoming. So Games Forum Seattle, save the date, October 24th. They're giving us a code. So if you want to come, you can get 25% off. The code is DOF25. I will be there representing. And if you are on the other part of the world across the pond, a Tel Aviv event is happening the 26th of October. Mishka will be on site. There'll be drinks, DJ, nine yards. Stay tuned and keep an eye out for signups. We'll be posting and talking about it. All right, Jen, quick correction. Yes. Uh, last week, I mentioned that the video games writers would vote to strike later this month. I messed up. It's actually the Actors Union. There's so much going on with writers for us that I just assumed wrong. So the Actors Union is going to vote to strike later this month. So voice actors, not actually the writers. All right. Quick hits. Quick hits. Got this. All right, here we go. Unity just levied the biggest tax on the mobile games industry ever seen. Much, much more to come. So stay with us past quick hits. E3 will not return to LA in 2024, but it may still happen in some form in the future in 25. The ESA and organizer ReadPop parted ways on organizing E3. So Jeff Keighley must be excited as his Summer Games Fest has slowly been taking over the spotlight. Google changes its policy to allow NFT game ads. If the game offers wagering or staking in NFTs in exchange for the opportunity to win anything of real-world value, they will require a gambling certification. This all starts September 15th. YouTube playables are live in testing, as we discussed a few weeks ago. This includes games that can be played both on desktop, website, and mobile devices. To check if you're included in the game's experiment, look for a playable section on your YouTube alongside content in the home feed. Not to be outdone, TikTok also has games available for a limited number of people and has experimented with allowing streamers to play with their viewers, as well as live trivia contests with cash prizes. So lots of playables going on inside of social media. Embracer Group is exploring a sale of Gearbox Software, the maker of Borderlands. Gearbox was one of the largest independent game developers before being bought two years ago. We love Embracer, don't we, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I hate being right. You know, just everything's for sale at Embracer, dude. It's like a fire sale. Just to it is a fire sale. Pull themselves out of this muck. And Gearbox is probably one of the best assets they got. I think that uh, also Lord of the Rings will be for sale. And they'll just sell it at a discount to the crazy price they bought it a few, you know, last oh, year. Oh man, so, I know some bidders. Yeah, we'll see. Some hot properties. <laughs> Gearbox will get bought, like no doubt, but it'll be at a fraction of what they got before. So all right. Just a couple other things to go 
Roblox Developer Conference had a lot of announcements that we'll cover a little bit later. So a quick highlight, it's launching on PS4 and PS5 in October. Also on VR, Cress's favorite, coming later this year as well. Evidently, they gave out like quests. You know, they had some deal with Oculus, so they gave out quests to a lot of people there. And then there was a threat. Yes. Right, some moron, some 13-year-old, which I had to tell my son about this because this is how you get in trouble and ruin your fucking life, right? Put some picture on the internet about with a gun pointing at, you know, the location. And then there were some other threats and stuff. And so they actually canceled one of the main events for the thing. And I'm like, dude, don't do that. Yeah. Don't be an idiot. Social media is not your friend. Don't post pictures with guns and do stupid shit. And that's what I was telling my son for like the whole day. I don't know. As a parent, you're always scared that your kids are going to do something stupid and get you sued into oblivion. But anyways, I I actually walked by the event. It was packed. It's very cool. Yeah. I talked to someone who went and it was really a bummer for them because innovation awards is what got canceled. They were up for like three awards. And so to not get a chance to like get the recognition and be able to tout that, like it's just such a bummer because people do something stupid. Like, let's stop rushing the stage for Summer Game Fest. Like, let's just celebrate our industry and stop being dumb. All right. PSA over. So the final quick hit. It's a fight for the top grossing worldwide mobile games over the last year. So Royal Match has beat out Monopoly Go, followed by Candy Crush, Roblox, Honor of Kings. Coin Master is in sixth spot. So Monopoly Go is pulled way ahead of Coin Master. All of this is according to Data AI. All right. So the topic everyone's been waiting for, let's dive into Unity's edition. That's going to cause some divisions. Cress. Yeah. Wow. What can I say? I mean, the headline news was that Unity will now charge one-time fees based upon downloads, right? (laughs) Basically, they're charging fees per download, which is fucking crazy, right? It scales based upon different revenue thresholds and download thresholds. Enterprise customers are going to get a discount. At the end of the day, all the logistics really don't matter. The fact is that they're coming out with a charge that they've never done before. And this was absolute mayhem, right? It was such a shitstorm that they created. And the number of memes, you know, the vitriol hate, you know, like I would have protection if I was JR at this point. I've never seen such a reaction. I could barely keep up with our own Slack channel, much less all the shit that was going down on the internet. And I, and I really appreciate like all the insights the group has. It kind of really helped get kind of my mind around what the hell's going on. So here we go. Now, I'm going to probably say the most unpopular thing I've ever said in the podcast right now. And I want to be clear. I don't necessarily believe this, but I think it needs to be said. Is It's about fucking damn time, right? Unity shareholders have been subsidizing this industry with this engine for decades, right? My biggest criticism on Unity in general is they have 70% market share on the largest digital consumer market in the world, and they have never made a nickel of profit on their engine, right? They have lost hundreds of millions supporting and building and maintaining this engine for all of us, and they barely make any money. And to put this in perspective, There's a close to trillion dollars a year of revenue that's being driven by this market, this gaming market. They have the lion's share of the engine that actually builds most of these apps. And they make $500 million in revenue, right? That's like a fraction of a percent. 
it's almost criminal mismanagement that they don't have any revenue associated with all this growth in this industry. It's crazy, right? But there's an obvious counter here, right? Obvious is that they would have never gotten a 70% share if they were charging these usage fees to begin with, right? It's true. But again, they make peanuts in an industry that they've helped create, right? To some degree. Now, having said all that, the controversial part, I will say, what a kick in the nards for developers. Holy moly, right? This is like the worst possible timing, right? Based upon all the challenges that people have right now in the UA environment, you know, Apple's hostility towards the industry, UA is just crazy right now. And they tied it to downloads. What the fuck? Like, I, it was crazy that they tied it to downloads. You know, read the room for Christ's sake. A revenue royalty seems to make much more obvious sense in the way promoted monetization. But I think it's pretty clear why they are doing it this way, but we'll see how it evolves. And I do not want to go into deep in the mechanics here. I don't want to try to calculate what it was before and what it will be, because I think it's changing the way they're defining downloads and who gets it, who doesn't get it. But And we've seen some anonymous posts out there about download calculations are going to be very conservative, et cetera. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters, obviously, at the end of the day, but it's really a question for me about what approach that they're going to take and why they're doing it and whether they should and what the impact will be likely on the industry. But can you imagine if they had these things attached to downloads from the very beginning? Dude, we would never have seen the unfortunate introduction of hyper casual games, right? But like the cockroaches that the hyper casuals are, their fee is going to be waived anyway, right? Because they're going to be trying to be part of level play. And this is my first point about what the impact will be is that by tying it to downloads, I think it is mainly to push people into Unity's advertising platform because they're going to waive the fees for this hyper-casual trash and other games that don't make money to help build up their network, right? Which totally makes sense. They also could waive fees for higher LTV games in order to push developers to their operating services as well, right? So these are type of the mechanics that may happen to help kind of build their revenue, right? The second point is that I think this is a clear victory for the big, right? The well-established games that are in the market, developers with deeper pockets will ultimately benefit. You know, new games will have challenges of scale. Yet another fee, you know, attached to user acquisition, which is going to challenge new games in the ecosystem. The third point, the big challenge for developers is that because Unity has been almost giving this thing away for the last decade or more, we don't see any real alternatives, right? No company was dumb enough to build a competitor to Unity when they're giving it away basically unprofitably. And some people are talking about alternatives like Godot or Epic or whatever. But the reality is, despite some issues with Unity, it is the best game in town. And they have kind of this market leverage to do what they're doing to some degree. So anyway, to conclude, I think they should have done this 12 years ago. They're trying to build a system in four months that should have evolved over the last 12 years, right? I think that's what people are feeling right now. This is obviously a big kick in the balls to developers who are already struggling to deal with Apple's attack on the industry. And again, it will continue to increase the cost of acquisition or the cost of bringing games to market going forward, depending on how the model works. This is a total fuck you to hyper-casual, sort of, but they will survive like the cucarachas that they are by joining the ad platform. This is a total fuck you to AppLovin', right? You know, pushing companies to level play by offering them to waive fees on all downloads, right? That's, yeah, fuck you, AppLovin', right? You know, again, fees and taxes are always good for the big because they have the negotiating leverage. And they have the money and the personnel to manage the logistics of this type of stuff. 
This makes scaling games even more challenging for new games, and particularly for small to mid-sized companies, no matter what the result is. And as we've talked about in Slack, there will be lawsuits. I mean, there has to be, right? I think regulatory agencies will get involved because given their market share in this market, right? Touting the 70% on their earnings calls is probably going to bite them in the ass at this point, right? Because with that kind of market share, you have that kind of power. But I'm going to leave it at that, let you guys comment. But yeah, this is a huge, huge news story, probably the biggest of the year. And it's evolving, right? The last thing is obviously the communication on this was absolutely shite. You know, it's like, <laughs> you can't just spring this on here without like real explanation of the why. You know, it's crazy. You can't just throw a table out there and say, this is what's happening, right? Without any real explanation and outreach. So again, I think this will evolve. Jen, what do you think? So much good stuff there, Chris. I really agree with you that they had to do something given the lack of profitability on this side of the business. That's why they bought Iron Source, right? Because they needed ad monetization to come in to supplement what was going on with the lack of revenue coming from the side. So however... I think there are some other solutions that they could have looked at to your point. So I'm calling this the biggest tax on the game industry that we've ever seen. In effect, it's as much as 20 cents an install, no matter if it's a paid or organic install. So you basically, if you're a UA person, you have to add 20 cents, 15 cents, whatever you think the threshold is of your monthly downloads, you have to add that to your CPI and then model out your ROAS and your returns based off of this new tax, assuming you don't get anything waived, like if you have to actually pay the tax. So in an industry that runs on the rev share model, everyone uses it. I'm scratching my head as to why this download model or install model and not a revenue share model. You know, they include revenue as a threshold. So obviously they're considering that. So I, I don't understand how they landed here. I know Epic or Unreal is, I think, a 5% fee you know, they could have done something in the middle to take a look at that to still benefit where they're going. So I did a quick spreadsheet model. I know we didn't want to get too crazy into the details, but I wanted to just understand, like, how much are we talking about if you don't get your fees waived? And so I posted that in the Deconstructor of Fun Slack channel, and you can apply to join if you're interested. So, oh, before I get there, by the way, we only have three months to deal with the potential impact of this. That's what also sucks. So why not take a page from what Google's doing with Privacy Sandbox, announce it, it's going to roll out You know, two years later, everyone gets time to plan, to absorb it, to understand, to give feedback, bring people in, get feedback. As a marketing comms, PR person, whatever I do, I'm embarrassed for my profession, to be a little bit honest with you. I'm sure it was forced. Well, actually, I'm not sure of anything. I'm making total guesses and speculation, but... I don't see how anyone thought this was a good idea. <laughs> I'll be happy to speculate, dude. They're really struggling, right? They're not having a good year, right? And they're not going to be performing well this year. And they need something to talk about for a story for next year, right? And so I'm sure it's an exec level, you know, JR thing. It's like, hey, we need to do this because this is what's happening. And so, yeah, they just push this thing out without any type of planning whatsoever, right? I mean, I'm sure they plan, but it's like, yeah, 90% yeah, sure that that's probably what's happening. So we'll see in the next yeah. earnings call about whether they screw the pooch, which I think they, they probably will. Yeah. You know, we talk about the subscription games, Netflix and Apple Arcade. And so it was really unclear of the impact on those games, right? Because the threshold is both installs and revenue. Obviously, the subscription games don't make revenue. So sorry, guys, maybe Unity adds you in after this. 
But I wanted to just for fun, I picked Too Hot to Handle, which is Netflix number one game, just to get a sense of like, okay, what does this look like if you pass the million unit threshold? So when you go and you take a look, they do about 472,000 non-emerging market downloads. By the way, they have two buckets, non-emerging markets and emerging markets. And they are not clear on what countries are inside of emerging markets. They say countries like India. So for the purpose of this, I took out China and (laughs) India. Maybe it's more, I have no idea, but you have to understand that because that could quickly balloon because Crest, in your words, you know, emerging markets are mice nuts. Well, although I will say that if it is a one or a two cent tax for emerging markets, you might just shut off your downloads in those regions because you can't make enough revenue to pay for an install in those regions. We might see actually an impact on poor India. We talk about how India is growing. They're like, wait, wait, you just screwed us over. You just screwed us over. Okay. So anyway, back to the math. So let's assume it's 472,000 average monthly installs. So that charge would be between $28,000 or $35,000 a month, depending on the pro plan or the enterprise plan, whichever one enterprise is obviously less because you get a more of a discount. Also, you have to consider the developer fee per seat. Pro plan is $2,000 per year per seat. So maybe that's a $20,000 tax if you have 10 developers. You're already paying this. So just so you know that that's on top of all of this other math. So this maths to between $340,000 and $430,000 per year. And remember that that particular game doesn't make any money. So right now it's excluded based off of the language that we see now, but I imagine they're going to have to kind of figure that out. Apple probably may pass that tax along to the developer because of the rev share model. Netflix, I don't think does a lot of the rev share model, so they might just have to eat it. So we'll have to see what happens with those guys. But Dude, if Unity goes to Netflix and say, I'm charging you $400,000 for this game that makes no money, Netflix is going to go fuck yourself. Get out of here. You're not doing that, right? So like, there's no fucking way Netflix is paying this kind of money for this bullshit, right? So it's like, eh, all right, we could throw all these numbers out here, right? But at the end of the day, it's just leverage, right? It's just to try to generate more money. They're going to squeeze water from stone. Yeah. But I, it's not going to be this extreme, I would guess. But go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I hear you. And, you know, they also can't implement the ad monetization system because they don't run ads. Right. Even if it's not that game for Netflix, think about a comparable game that does those kinds of numbers. That's the approximate revenue that you're thinking. That's not even hyper casual. I think, Phil, you did some math on hyper casual, and I'm sure it's even higher than that because those games get millions of installs a month. And so, that could be millions of dollars a year in tax, although likely they are going to get a discount on that, if not their fee waived completely. So on predictions, okay. So potential litigation, we should call Lena Khan right now and put her on speed dial. I imagine you can't necessarily say, hey, we have these fees, but if you use our ad platform, we're going to waive that for you. That seems a little bit shady. I don't know. Further pressure and consolidation on small and medium companies. I think we talked about, you said they got kicked in the nards. You know, it does feel that way. Therefore, we might see even less VC funding and investment in these types (laughs) of companies. Your favorite other topic, right? Like they're already getting constrained in this model. And now it makes it less attractive for getting these companies up and going. 
a lack of innovation. I'm already sick of seeing the same metagame system applied to every mechanic across the board. So there could be even less innovation going as we just try to keep doing the same thing. And then this is controversial, but maybe Epic and Unreal have an opportunity here. So if I'm Epic, I'm calling an emergency meeting and saying, hey, how do we make Epic Unreal light, like Diet Coke or Coke light for the Europeans, and figure out how we can get a comparable engine out there and start competing with them. So maybe this is the time that somebody does come up and make a competitive engine knowing that this is out there. So Epic has way too many balls in the air and they're not going light. I mean, they're going pretty heavy, right? With UGC stuff. But one point about Epic and the point was made in Slack, it's far more difficult to find experienced developers in Epic's Unreal Engine. And they're generally more expensive and particularly to move to mobile, like they're worth their weight in gold in AAA. So frankly, Epic's engine is almost overkill for almost 90% plus of games in the mobile market. And I don't know crap about Godot or Cocos or other engines that people are talking about, but I can't imagine that these are viable alternatives in the next four months. You know, like, really? Right? I think they, they have the capability of doing what Unity does, right? Maybe over time, right, they become alternatives and people make some investments there. And I'm sure the VCs are kind of like rallying the troops to figure out investments there. But yeah, I just don't think there's anything in the short term or medium term that, that's viable. I think it's going to be interesting. Sorry, I was noodling on this as y'all are talking. For those that manage a PL for a new game, I feel like it's going to be the countdown to 200,000. There's going to be more optimization going into soft launch and managing smaller numbers and making sure those KPIs can scale so that if you're going to have this, like, what, 2% fee on top of whatever it is that you need to balance, then it's going to change, I think, at least from the product standpoint, how you approach new games and then how much you need to guarantee it's going to work prior to any sort of mass number of players coming in. I mean, we look at some of these games that are in soft launch for two years. They definitely have more than 200,000 installs. And those games never can make that much money. I was looking at Star Blast from Peak. That game's been in soft launch forever. It doesn't make that much money. Those games, I feel like they're going to start to disappear for sure because there's going to be no point keeping them live. But then you also have the games that they need that two-year window or 18-month window to get right. And then they turn into massive successes like Rush Royale. Like that game, small to start, scaled, invested, invested, invested. It's definitely going to change how we approach new game development and how we look at early KPI as an investment for sure. I wanted to talk to you about Heroic Labs. Building a successful game is hard enough without worrying about building your own game tech as well. Heroic Labs provides a comprehensive game stack to help you get your game into market faster and scale beyond the competition. With their Unity game framework Hero, you can cut development and prototyping time in half and quickly add social, economy, and reward systems to grow your game. Satori, the LiveOps platform built specifically for the games industry, lets you run live events, A-B tests, deliver dynamic content to players, and always keep your game growing. Nakama, the industry's leading open source game server, lets you develop locally, providing all social and competitive features for your game, and then seamlessly transition to their Heroic Cloud hosted service and easily scale to meet the largest of audience demands. Find out how to get started at heroiclabs.com. 
The games industry is experiencing unprecedented growth, with global revenues projected to reach a staggering $268 billion by 2025. But with more players than ever connecting across platforms and devices, how can your game stand out against the competition? AppsFlyer has created AppsFlyer for Games to help you unlock your player's true LTV by providing a wealth of game measurement solutions, unique industry insights, and proven best practices. Our dedicated hub is packed with innovative products, industry partnerships, and unrivaled expertise to ensure your game brand adapts and thrives. We understand that every game is unique and AppsFlyer's data-driven insights allow us to cater to your specific needs. We know that in today's evolving landscape, staying ahead of the curve is crucial. Trust in AppsFlyer for games to guide you through this exciting journey. We have the tools, the knowledge, and the passion to help you succeed in this ever-expanding landscape. Together, we'll conquer new worlds, both real and fantasy, break records, and create gaming experience that leave a lasting impact. Get in touch with AppsFlyer for games today and unleash your game's true potential. AppsFlyer for games, supercharging the gaming landscape. In one of the anonymous posts, you know, they talk about that installs for testing might not be counted and that they understand that they don't have a way to kind of count installs right now. And that's something that they're going to have to work on. So when they say they're going to look at conservative installs, I imagine it's things like this, right? Like anything in soft launch isn't going to be counted. Yeah, but how do you classify that? Like, oh, I don't know. That's the problem. Why would you, what are you saying? But like, that's like a weird line. That's not a distinct line. Is it certain countries once you're past five countries? Like, I don't know how you would, where you would delineate that. Because for me, if it was my game, I'd push that down as long as possible, right? The other logistical issue here, and I'm not sure how bad this is, but like, the entire organization is centered around tracking revenue, right? By every means necessary, like there's like a, a billion systems that are tracking revenue. I doubt there are that many systems tracking downloads, right? So like exactly how logistically are you going to prove this thing out between all the different companies, right? I can't imagine that Unity's tracking download. Maybe there is mechanism to do that, but that's just not the way organizations are set up. So, I mean, I was in FP&A for a while, which was like pretty much the worst job I ever had at EA, but like it's very complicated to make sure that all these things are tracked and downloads are just not something that we're tracked that deeply, you know? So anyway, we'll see. I mean, you have to have all these SDKs and I have to imagine there's some of that, but I think there's going to need to be delineation between all of these different categories of things. Like what if you, you know, some of the other things they said, if oh, we're not going to charge you for fraud, imagine how much fraud happens in UA. I mean, upwards of 20% sometimes people count as fraud installs coming. And how do you know how to look at that? Sorry, Phil, let's get you in here. Sorry, I'll shut up. (laughs) No, not at all. I mean, we were going back and forth last night, Jen. And I think the thing I started with is, well, how much money does this mean for Unity? And again, this isn't to justify it, but I think it's a place to start if you're sitting in John Riccatello's seat. And with some back of the envelope math, I got to around 200 million. Now I saw someone else get to around 150 million. So to me, 50 million is almost a smudge. But you know, you take 50 billion installs per year on mobile. And again, by the way, Unity is on HD. Unity is increasingly an engine people are using for HD titles. And I think that's another interesting observation here is these two conversations have been happening about Unity. There's been the HD folk who are freaking out about, you know, Steamfest demo downloads. And then there's the mobile folk freaking out about hyper casual, but they've kind of happened in separate silos. But again, if we're just going to focus on the mobile use case, you know, you're looking at 55, maybe billion downloads a year, you take that 70% market share that you were talking about, Eric, make some assumptions about that emerging market 
tier price. You make some assumptions about how many games are getting to that 1 million plus marginal bracket. And I got around 200 million a year. And so for context, Unity did around $1.8 billion last year. So this isn't a crazy amount of money we're talking here. Now, again, it's basically zero marginal cost. You just flip a switch. There isn't like real cost that Unity has to do, at least in the short run, to make this happen. And again, this is holding all this constant, right? This assumes that no one is making any changes in response to this. So when you look at that minimal amount of money, you start to wonder, to your point, Eric, if this is really about ads and this is really about pushing people to their ad network, which is which is how they become profitable. But again, that means nothing to HD folk. They don't run ads. You're not going to see Fall Guys have ads in it. Uh, it's just not going to happen. So with that being said, you can also look at this from, let's say, a Stumble Guys perspective. And that's just an example game I took. And when we did the back of the envelope math for Stumble Guys, we got around two, maybe $3 million a year based on the 270 million downloads they had last year. So $2 million a year for Unity is actually not that crazy for a game like Stumble Guys, which is probably going to clear over $100 million this year. It's more, I would say, commensurate with the value that they're generating. And again, to your point, Eric, is, <laughs> you know, like Unity needs to make money. How are they going to make money? And it doesn't seem crazy to me to charge $2 million for an engine that generates an incredible amount of value because the alternative here really isn't these other engines. It's really going native. And that was something that we saw at Scopely, Jen, if you remember, Yahtzee had this big transition period where they were native on iOS and they were native on Android. And there was a huge transition period to get this game on Unity and get it running well and to make sure the KPIs were comparable against the two. So you're not competing with another engine right now. You're really competing with going back to a native framework. But again, like hyper-casual super fucked here. And the thing that's really bizarre about this is how they design these marginal tax brackets. Everything is designed with a bracket of downloads, but it's a fixed fee at each bracket. It's not a percentage. And when you do that type of model, you end up with all these bizarre incentives. So if you have, let's say, a 10 cent LTV and you're on an enterprise plan, there's a lot of situations in which you could, quite frankly, be in the hole. You could actually owe Unity more money than you're generating. And so you end up with all these weird situations like, do I dis disable IEP at $9,999, which is this threshold to qualify? Now, that is a really fucked up thing that could happen to a lot of developers is you literally just build in some code and it just triggers when you reach that $9,999 mark. And so if you're Unity, they mention revenue. This is the other thing they haven't clarified in their FAQ. They, they mention revenue as the thresholds here. But when they say revenue, what do they mean by revenue, right? Do they mean IEP revenue? What about ad revenue? How are they going to get a hold of that? Are they really going to think that they can go out and subpoena companies for ad revenue? I mean, for fuck's sakes, Apple doesn't even do that shit, right? Ad revenue has always not been subject to the 30% tax. And even Apple hasn't tried to kind of get their greedy hands on it. And, and the thing that like blows my mind in the design of this system is that Unity has a motherfucking chief economist. <laughs> like, where is this guy? <laughs> he, he's been there for two years. His name is Will. You can find him on LinkedIn. He's an academic. Will, where are you? Like, I, I know you were involved in designing these brackets. And if you weren't involved in designing these brackets, Will, I don't know what to tell you, man. You got to be in here and you got to be scoring some points for us as Team Econ here, because this just seems wild to me. This seems like a bizarre set of incentives. But I don't think anything of this is going to happen. I'm sure Unity is going to roll this back. I'm sure that ads will become a more increasing part of how they'll clarify this. Just get on our ad platform. We'll waive everything. But I'm sure they're paying attention here. This seems like some boneheaded executive moves. Do you think they're going to track also the off-platform payments? Because technically it's using the same engine, right? So it's using the Unity engine, just pushing them to off-platform. Yeah. Well, it could or it could not be. I can't tell if it would incentivize people to start pushing towards off-platform payments as well. But that would only be the, for the revenue calc. I mean, they're going to get hit by the download thresholds before the revenue. Most then at least likely. you save the 30% on the platform fees. Yeah. yeah. There's going to be some people optimizing. The logistics yeah. of this is challenging. 
I'll just make one comment to what Phil said. The $200 million a year actually is not bad. If it's a $500 million business and they make another $200 million, now, of course, they may lose customers, et cetera, like he suggested. I imagine that they think that this $200 million is a lot higher, right? But I get the calculation. I thought it was a generous assumption to get to $200 million. And engines have never made that much money. That's the problem. Like Unreal has never made that much money. No, Unreal doesn't make money either. Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe Yeah, me. I think that's what people forget. Unreal maybe makes 150, 250 million yeah. a year. It's, Fortnite has always been the moneymaker. Yeah, nothing. So they're hoping that, that, I don't know if that 200 million, that's assuming everyone doesn't transition and have their fees waived by the ad platform. So right, are they assuming right. that that 200 million is probably 100 million. And, and do you offset that 100 million by the increase in the ad revenue that you're getting by moving people to level play? I don't know. That's probably the next round of math we would have to look at. I mean, you know, their number one thing is that's what they're doing. They're funneling people to ads. And by the way, that's not working that great either. <laughs> no, but even if you take the stumble guy example, for instance, if their bill goes from like a hundred thousand to 2 million in a year under this scenario, the percentage of revenue is significantly higher. So if you do that across all the games in the ecosystem, like they're going to be generating far more than $200 million. I'm not even going to try to do the math because I think it's impossible because there's too many ins and outs and too much challenges with it. But I imagine they think they're going to generate a lot more revenue over time with this new scheme and or, like you say, push them into their ad network away from AppLovin. But this was like the same kind of response when Apple announced the IDFA. Yeah. If, you, if you remember... People were absolutely fucking outraged. And it's like, there is no fucking way they will ever do this, right? Type responses from most of the pundits out there. And of course, what did they do? They implemented it, all right? They just screwed everybody, right? And so the same thing with fingerprinting. No way they blocked fingerprinting. Impossible, right? They're doing it, right, this year. So I wouldn't suggest that they don't do this, right? They have that kind of power right now to do what they're suggesting. And no matter how ham-fisted this is, this is another example of big tech kind of just pushing down. Now, I wouldn't call it Unity big tech, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like when they have the leverage, they have the leverage, right? They can do it. So it will evolve, but this shit's happening. They're going to try to generate more money from their engine. Obviously, if the regulators get involved, then that's a whole other thing. But anyway, I would prepare for the worst. Chris, <laughs> would you have predicted the 7% stock hit that they experienced yesterday based off of this news? The stock movement is so complicated. There's so many different issues that are going on here. I think people realize what I just said about five minutes ago is that this is an indication that things are not going well at the company. So that's probably weighing in on it. But also the vitriol hate that they've seen is obviously a lot of it as well. Because it was up, what, 2% yesterday or 2.5% year, and it's like down 7% today. So Unity and AppLovin are just trading stocks right now. They're not real stocks per se. Like, they're not value investors or big institutions that are really interested in these names. They may own them now, but people are just trading them in and out. And they become like hedge fund hotels type thing because they're so volatile. So you're going to see a lot of action day to day on these stocks. I would kind of expected it to go up over time because I think this actually secures better profitability and more predictability around the engine business and helps support their advertising business. But again, it's an indication that things are not going well for this year, in my view tough to figure that one stuff out, to be honest. The only other thought that I want to throw out here is that I've been so critical of Unity over the years. And part of it's because they never really did a good job of managing their business. And there were so many reasons why this happened over time. And I don't want to go into it right now. But I, I know Laura was 
put on our notes about targeting other verticals. So the thing that I've been saying about Unity all this time is that JR was pushing the idea that they would be able to target other verticals to grow, to leverage the same engine, charge other verticals and generate revenue and get to profitability. But the whole thing of that was completely absurd in my view. If they can't make a profitable business out of a market that is so large and which they have 70% share, how can they even hope to make money in different verticals that their engine has no business being in to begin with, right? So it was an absurd assumption that that was going to happen, but people just ate it up, you know, and this stock was like worth like 60 billion at one point, <laughs> 60 billion, right? I mean, it's crazy, you know? And so this move should have been done ages ago to help them generate money to be profitable, to support their engine. And it's just a way too late, particularly given what's going on in the market. But anyway, all right, moving on. Hey, game devs. Are you tired of dealing with complicated payment processes all over the world? Well, Exola's got your back with Exola PayStation. It has a simple, user-friendly interface that makes it easy for players to pay for your games and in-game content however they want. And because the Exola PayStation user interface is adaptive and accessible on smartphones, tablets, and PCs, your players will have a seamless experience no matter their preferred device. Players can save their favorite payment methods for future purchases, and on mobile, even charge purchases directly to their phone carrier your bill. On the back end, you can customize your checkout with game-specific integration options like sidebars and iframes, as well as change colors, fonts, and images to make PayStation look and feel like a natural part of your game. Ready to see Exola's PayStation in action? Visit exola.pro slash payments DOF or visit the link in this podcast description. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing a full-on deconstructing first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. Talking about mobile games that are now in soft launch that were blissfully ignorant of this change. <laughs> All right, so we have a couple of games out. First one I wanted to bring up was Final Fantasy Ever Crisis, which is by Square Enix. Released last week, a couple hiccups, took a little bit longer to access it. Has anyone else here played it? Just out of curiosity. Oh, I'm the only one. Okay, I'll be quick then. I think what was good, this is a lesson in how to port things to mobile, at least initially. I would say how I would describe this game is you play it, you're like, oh my God, Square Enix has finally figured out how to move over the JRPG to mobile. And then you're playing, it's the story, you're into it, it's great. 
They're not trying to recreate turn-based battle. They're not trying to go after Genshin Impact and create that sort of open world action RPG. They took a little bit of inspiration from Idol. I think they decided how to make things like the active time battle system work with mobile. So they modified it in a way that resembles the PlayStation 1 experience. You play it thinking, oh my God, they got it. They got it. And then about 10 minutes into the opening, you jump to the main menu and you realize it's your standard Gacha Heroes game. And it's like promo, 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 promo. They seem to be doing okay. They're banking on, I think, what they're hoping for in this game is that people are going to love the universe and the narrative and they're going to want to play, get the heroes, relive all the moments that are part of the Final Fantasy universe, especially coming off the tails of the remake series. It's earned about $3 million since September 7th. Nothing to snuff at. Let's see how it goes. My problem with these games that these guys do is that they never fully embrace the free-to-play model for Final Fantasy, right? This game in particular, and many other games that have come out with Final Fantasy, it's like, either shit or get off the pot, right? Like, stop trying to make games that have all those story arcs and pretty graphics and all the things that Final Fantasy is known for on console and, and bring that to mobile. Just make a mobile game. Like, it's really annoying. So, like, yeah, this game's done, like, $3 million on $3 million installs in japan dude yes that is like a disaster in japan right if it's not like a 10 rpi in the first like few months like it's over game done it's done and so like they spend all this money building these games that just have no hope of being successful so it's really just kind of annoying frankly embrace it you know fire emblem was like a really great testimony to the fact that they fully embraced whoever made that game and fully embraced the mobile market and what mobile needs you know these predatory monetization mechanics right that's what these guys need to do. They need to stop fucking around, get it done, you know? Anyway, all right, sorry, moving no, on. No, I agree. They were close. I was super excited. And then it was just jumped back to the same thing that's been popular for years and years and years. And I just literally copied it. All right, next game. Mystery Matter by Playrix. So Playrix has come out with another game. This one's interesting. It starts off as Hidden Object, then moves to Match 3. And it has so many, many games in it. I want to throw this to Jen at some point because I think that's for the UA. Paranormal Mystery, it's the storytelling you'd expect from Playrix. It's very task-based. You're decorating, you're playing mini-games. They actually have another hidden object game out called Manor Matters, and they do a different style of hidden object. So I would describe it as you have the June's Journey, you have the Pearl's Peril style, which is a little bit more skill. You're aiming for multipliers. You want to find those items quickly. Whereas Manor Matters, I would say, is leaning more into the match-three puzzle aspect in terms of the core hidden object mechanics. So this leans opposite of their other game copies a little bit more of what the Pearl's Peril and June's Journey does. It's not unique. I think Outplay Mystery Match Village has also combined Hidden Object and Match 3, so that aspect is not unique. That's been done since 2021. I think it's interesting. I'm not sure how it's going to do. I need to play it a little, little bit more. I'm only about 60 levels in. It's quite long if you're doing everything. It is not. Playing through the first 100 levels is now taking me probably over two, three hours, so it's going to probably bank me about six hours in which is quite quite a long time. Um, curious to know what you think, Jen, of their approach with all these mini games. I haven't played it yet. I was too busy digging into the crazy stuff with Unity to dig into this game. I am slightly creeped out by the art, though. Like The trend that I'm seeing is all of these games are doing the same thing. There is a female main character, there is a mystery, and progressively it's getting more and more creepy. And you're starting to see more like peril, like the main character is put into more peril. The more peril she's put into, I guess, the better it performs, because that's what we're seeing this trend. 
go into here. So from a UA perspective, they must be seeing success with this type of, you know, danger, danger that the female character is being put into, which I don't love is like, it's such a trope. But that's what works. I know, but it's a trope. And it's like, listen, Hold on a minute. just because things work, it doesn't mean it's right. Who's right? What do you mean? Right? Dude, this thing is crushing it. What are you talking about? Like, these guys are just minting money right now. Between Playrix and these puzzle people, they're just continuing to reiterate on the same thing, building all these different mini games and stuff. And this yeah. is what's doing well in, in the whole market. No, I, I, I agree. It, I guess as somebody who wants to see some innovation is it's all the same stuff, just repackaged. Welcome to mobile games. <laughs> yeah, that's the business. <laughs> well, I know. I know. <laughs> I understand. I just... Can we not hope for a little like newness to come in? Like every time I open a game, it's the same sale. It's the same balloon character going up. It's like everything's fucking the same. Hope is not a method. Okay. Hope like, is not a strategy. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Jesus Christ. Jen, you should know this, right? You've been do. doing this long enough. I do. So listen. Dude, the, I, there's well, been no innovation in video games in, in AAA for like decades. Decades, we're doing the same shit over and over again, right? That's the business that we're in. And once in a while, you get these gems of innovation. And they're still not that innovative, right? They're just playing on a theme. Well, the innovation, I think, is actually in optimizing and they're playing within the system that has changed. So the reason I think they're putting all these mini games in is now they can do ads for all of this and have it still be truth. And I think that's awesome. Yes. That's we smart. talked about that. That's the hybrid casual playbook. Yeah. You want to call that innovation? Fine, right? I mean, you can label it whatever you want, but like... It's not design innovation. No. I think these tile buster games are. It was a great segue, because actually looking at the two new kind of entrants are the tile match games, which we talked a little bit about last week for tile busters, and Match Factory, which is called 3D Match. So it's a little bit different, but it's kind of the same peak just released, well, it's in soft launch in Turkey only, Match Factory. And they're innovating. They are taking the triple 3D items, match them as soon as you can, and they're adding things that work in standard Match 3 games. So they're putting goals in, they're putting boosters, you're matching three items instead of two. So they're taking what works in Tile Match, and they're putting it now in the engine in a slightly different way. There's no data, It's since it's Turkey only, it's just too soon. I think this is an interesting play. I feel like they're trying to branch out into something new because they've continually tried to release Blast games and they have not been successful since Tune and Toy. So I think this is them looking at something else and then kind of tying back to last week's episode, a lot of the peak founders, they left to form new studios. I think, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dream is a uh, former peak founders, Magic, Spike, Ace, all of those guys came, I think, I believe initially out of peak. So Wait, this is the new Zynga game. Yeah, Peak's part of Zynga. Okay, okay, gotcha. Sorry, that, yeah, that's why this is relevant. Yes. This does not look good, by the way. It looks actually really bad. I haven't played it. The only thing I can look at are the trailer videos. I searched YouTube for someone else playing it. I cannot find it. I'm going to keep an eye on it, though. I'm curious to see how it does. It's soft launch, right? Is that what you said? It's Turkey only. No, well, I see it in the UK. It's like 15,000 downloads with $3,000 in revenue. That's like really bad. Like, I know it's early, but still. So this 3D match play pattern has been around for a little while. I was playing a bunch of other games that had it that were smaller studios that everyone is kind of doing the same thing, right? It's what we were just talking about before. Someone, this was actually, a, I would say, an innovation in Match. It was 
3D objects with a little bit of physics play. So you can move things around and feel like you're searching for something in 3D. And now you're either applying the tile matching system, the match three system. I'm sure there'll be a merge version of it come next. So, hey, if you want innovation, do merge with 3D objects like that. I don't think I've seen that one yet. So what's interesting is you're seeing exactly what we just talked about is this must be resonating in UA because tile busters took it and put it inside of their like traditional tile matching game as a mode. So same thing with like what Envoy did with the pull the pin UA ads, you know, next thing you're knowing you're, you're in a Forex strategy game, but there's a whole section of the game where it's just like thousands of levels of pull the pin. So this is the next kind of successful UA entry. And so everyone's going to be looking at this and I, you know, and you should, right? This is how this works is somebody finds something new and don't do it just a fake ad. Like fake ads are everywhere. You know, by fake ad, I mean like, let's show you gameplay that isn't actually what the core game is. They're super successful. The CPIs are lower, but your KPIs, once you get inside the game, really suck. And so it's a drug for many UA and marketing folks to like, oh, let's just do a fake ad and we'll juice all of our numbers. My caution is if you want to do something like that, coordinate with the game team to make sure there's an experience for a player to land in your game where they don't feel like they've been duped. If you need an example of it, go play Mystery Matters by Playrix. They do a good job. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Or Tile Busters does it with the 3D match stuff. Or Tile Busters, yeah. Okay, so the last game is called Gwen's Getaway. It's by Ubisoft. This surprised me. I was very shocked to see Ubisoft making a puzzle decoration game. Right now it's available in Finland, India, Philippines, and UAE. It's your standard blast decoration game. I watched the first 20 minutes on YouTube. I don't know what their USP is. Is it 3D decoration? No, because Tactile's Makeover Match was in 3D. I feel like this game is five years too late and I don't understand why they're making it. So maybe someone here can explain to me why Ubisoft is making this style of game. <laughs> no. Although, so the one thing I did notice is they are like implying that the two female characters are in a couple, like in the trailer, it looks like that. And so I would applaud that and say, looks, hey, this could be, you know, the gaming LGBTQ game of the year if this is the main storyline and this is how they're marketing the game, I don't know. But, you know, maybe to know what Ubi is doing well that seems to be working is Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Mobile has 17 million pre-orders. It's a competitive multiplayer, first-person shooter, tactical shooter, you know, keep going on that. They say it's developed for mobile. It's soft launched in Canada at the end of August and it's going to Mexico on September 4th, which was, I guess, last week. And then Ubi's CEO called it Ubi's first AAA mobile game. So we should keep an eye on this one because, you know, we know that they've been kind of challenged in what they've been doing on mobile. They have code name Jade, which I still don't have a code for. Also, I'm surprised they're saying that that one's not a AAA game because it's done with, oh, maybe because it's level infinite and it's not them. Maybe that's the difference. Anyway. But the, the game was made by level infinite? I think it is. You know, just like what Riot and what EA have been doing and getting some of Tencent divisions to make games for them. I think that's what the Assassin's Creed Jade is. I think this Rainbow Six mobile game is actually made by Ubisoft. Yes. So, so that's the difference. That's why they're calling it Ubisoft's first AAA mobile game. Yeah. I mean, this game looks insane, right? It looks great. The monetization is absolutely terrible. It's like 10 cents per download, which is low by any standard for shooters. And the tactic nature of this game is going to make it tough on mobile. But 
it looks like it's well executed. This could be like the first game they actually do well. But even their Assassin's Creed games have been pretty high quality. They just don't make money, yeah. right? Which is kind of the general gist of what Ubisoft does. The Gwen's Getaway, despite the progressive nature of the game, is is trash, right? That doesn't even make sense in this day and age. Way too late on this game. But the Rainbow Six thing might make a splash, right? But it's just not going to generate much revenue for them. No one's been able to figure out what is the real lesson of Call of Duty Mobile because everyone was shit-faced when that came out and did well in the West, right? It wasn't just a game that did well in the East. It was a game that did well in the West. And it had dual stick analog virtual controls, which is usually big departure from traditional games on mobile for them to go out and be able to do that. But everyone who's looked into this and has seen something, you know, we know Mishka. Mishka was working on a first person shooter at one point on mobile. We know Joseph Kim, another alum from the podcast, saw something and is making some sort of shooter on mobile. But everyone else who's tried to follow up Call of Duty success with shooters on mobile doesn't seem to have made it very far. And this is another high profile stab. And I'm interested to see if they found out why Call of Duty Mobile has been successful in the West, because I don't think anyone has solved that puzzle yet. I mean, some people to basically just say is that once you have an established player in this particular genre, like people stay with it forever, right? And if you guy, if you look at the data, like Call of Duty is just a juggernaut, even mobile shooters are down like 30% over the last two years, right? But Call of Duty is maintaining really well. And so maybe there's just not room enough for another game. Do you not count PUBG and Free Fire as because they're battle royales? Do you not put them in the same bucket? I mean, to be fair, those have been successful, not in North America. And I did say the West here. I mean, they were successful Mm. in a lot of Latin American countries. So I generally put those in different buckets. But people have struggled to get high quality kind of those virtual dual analog stick first person shooters and even third person shooters to work in the west fortnite Fortnite was actually another great example of a game that was doing really well on mobile until tim decided to say fuck it if you look at a lot of those leaked fortnite documents from the epic v apple case fortnite was doing a lot of money on mobile it wasn't just a you know a throwaway skew it was a significant part of the fortnite story but those have been kind of the games that have been successful and i'm not convinced it's it's just about ip i I think there's there's more going on here and i think it's we'll see if ub is able to solve it you know i think if ubisoft's mobile rainbow six siege game does well there there might be an ip story here but farlight didn't do well either right i really hope farlight was going to do well but that didn't go anywhere PUBG in the U.S., just for fun, from Data AI, is in the last 12 months, 21 million. And a million downloads, cumulative 42 million downloads. So, not big. All right. I'm sure I'm going to get some hate from this for the Unity stuff, but I do think this thing will evolve and we'll continue to talk about it because it is a very, very big deal for the market. Do you think they'll have a response in the next week? I would hope. Probably. Okay. Probably by the time we record. Yeah, um, I would hope so. It's ironic that all we're really seeing is unofficial responses from employees in like social media. It's like, Jesus, you know? And anonymous forum posts on Unity forums. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think Mishka is even lining up uh, a Unity employee to do a podcast, which seems like if I was their PR person, I would be like, there's no way you're talking to Deconstructor of Fun on a podcast until we get our messaging together again. You know, you want to do reactive PR and comms, but you have to get your shit together or else you make it worse. I actually wouldn't be surprised if they're quiet for a little while while they're absorbing all of this and putting together the right response. I mean, that would be my counsel is don't reactively just knee jerk say something because you're you could flame the fires even worse. All right. Yeah. Everyone stay tuned till next week. We'll cover everything else we said we were going to talk about, but we didn't get to. See you all next week.
Later.